Welcome to the season two finale, which is episode 10, if you're keeping track of Nobody Asked for This. I'm Kendra. I'm Megan. <laughs> and here we are at the end of another season. Whoop, whoop. We did it. Let's talk about our upcoming interview. <gasps> Can I tell you? I was actually in person when we recorded. Was I? Did I just make yeah, that up? you sure were. I was. No, right? no, you okay. were. We were all three in the room we where were it happened. All three sitting around Megan's kitchen table, which frankly doesn't get to happen as often as I would love for it to. Yeah. Both recording podcasts around the table and then also just like being around Megan's kitchen table together. But anyways. Oh. Um, and it was just such a delight to have this conversation with Jamie Finch. Just, you have to listen to the whole thing. There's this, she reads one of her beautiful poems for us. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. I can't, I really can't wait to hear what y'all think about this episode. Jamie Lee Finch is a sexuality and embodiment coach, intuitive healer, self-conversation facilitator, sex witch, and poet. She specializes in working with people recovering from the effects of a religious trauma and sexual shame. This is a really great conversation. It's also a conversation that involves listing eating disorder behaviors mm-hmm. and talking about religious trauma and talking about diet culture. Mm-hmm. So take good care of yourself during the conversation. And do what your body tells you to do. Listen to her. Or they. Or him. Or they. Or him. And as always, this uh, podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. So if you need medical assistance, we're not the people to give you that kind of help. <laughs> I did help a pre k through a lip injury today so so if you need a band-aid and some neosporin (laughs) or a popsicle that's how we fix things in preschool that's right and honestly as adults as well it should be enjoy this episode y'all yeah we'll be back soon we will be This episode has been brought to you by water, dogs, and flushable wipes, and our favorite Lizzo song, Jerome. Take your ass home. We are very excited to have our guest, Jamie Lee Finch, here with us today. I heard of you because of Imaginarium. You were on Mm -hmm. a panel and gave a talk about sex, sexuality, and gender. Mm -hmm. And in the first 30 seconds, maybe minute, you brought up diet culture. Mm -hmm. And I literally went, woo! excited about your excitement because uh, that's not the first time that I've brought that up early in situations like that and 
there's generally not much of a reaction. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I found it exciting and was like, I've got to talk to mm-hmm. her. And then you were, you were so gracious and immediately were like, yes, 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 please. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, give us a little um, of your background and lived experience. Yeah. Great question. Um, well, part of the reason why I was so excited immediately when you told me about your podcast and your, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call it your work, like oh. your work in the world, oh. um, is because I, and I know I told you this too when we talked about it over coffee, I was like, I've been waiting for someone to ask me to talk about this stuff and people only ever want to talk, which is fine, but kind of I'm bored now but um they only ever want to talk about like oh you were an evangelical Christian how did that (laughs) fuck you up let's talk only about that and then I will sometimes try and segue that into well let me tell you how that ethic informed my eating disorder Mm -hmm. and how that how yeah that fucked me up in all these obvious to you ways um but I have to rope it like for me it feels very important to rope in what it caused me to do to my body and what I my clients have told me that it caused them to do to their bodies and particularly um clients who have bodies that have been discriminated against in any form whether because of their size shape color gender or ability Mm -hmm. um that it that's not separate from the entire ethic of white evangelical Christianity it's not so it, it it has felt to me for a while increasingly it's felt like people only allow me to go kind of like halfway when they're like, come on my podcast or come speak at this thing or talk to me about it. And I'm like, no, we have to keep going because it's very much, you guys know this, um, it's very much still this area where people seem to think it's acceptable to stand in judgment or to like some sort of like dehumanizing criticism yeah. when it comes to people's like physical bodies. Yeah. Whereas in a lot of other spaces and places we're like, that's wrong, you can't, you know, gender issues or issues about race. We're like, oh no, we have this cultural understanding that that's inappropriate and incorrect, Mm -hmm. but we're still kind of like, but I care about your health. You don't, you're just an asshole. So, (laughs) um, yeah. So I, my back, I mean, my lived experience is, um, I come from, yeah, white evangelical Christian household. Um, more apt to this discussion. I come from, um, a home where both of my parents had, um, massive issues with food that they never talked about but just like I remember as a child picking up on Mm -hmm. very vividly Mm -hmm. and then um not only having like a curiosity about what was informing their relationships with food and kind of what was setting the ethic in our home but then also I had my personal lived experience too was that I when I was born like going all the way back um when I was born um my mother had undiagnosed celiac disease and so there's a lot that people didn't know about the gut health of the mother that informs the gut health of the baby. Yeah. I also did not come through the birth canal and I was not breastfed. And I was, uh, they, t- they took me out the day after my lungs were fully developed. My mother wanted me out of her body as quickly as possible. It's a whole other thing I could talk about ooh, for a long time. But um, basically everything that I should have received as an infant, I got none of. Mm-hmm. And that informed two big things that I both came to realize both of these later, it informed not only the way my physical body functioned and worked. So I was born with a intolerance to a lot of different substances. Mm. Um, but obviously I'm an infant, so I can't, I can't tell you why I'm screaming or crying. All my mother knew is that she would feed me 
whatever she was like, I don't know what she was feeding me, but it wasn't, it wasn't breast milk. She'd feed me and I would immediately either vomit or if I took it in, I would just like poop it out real quickly. And mm-hmm. like, I was like, blood was coming out on both ends. So she mm-hmm. thought I was, I mean, I, I was dying. I wasn't digesting food at all. And so come to find out, they took me doctor after doctor, couldn't figure it out. A lady at their church was like, take her to an allergist. Mm-hmm. So then they're like, yeah, you're baby's allergic to all the things you're feeding her. Um, so they put me on this like special powdered formula that didn't fuck up my body. Um, so the two things that were kind of happening, I don't know why my parents thought this though, is once I was no longer an infant, they were like, oh, I'm sure all of her allergies are gone. And they just fed me all the things that I didn't find any of this out until I was in my mid twenties, by the way. Yeah. So when I found all this out, it illuminated, and this is, you know, I say this to say it illuminated uh, going back and looking at my childhood and my relationship to my body and food growing up because I truly thought that the way that you just were, you humaned, I just thought like what it meant to be a human is that you ate food and you were in pain mm-hmm. after you ate food oh, yeah. because that was just, I That's ate food and I was in pain. Um, and then because I was in pain, that was, the pain was a symptom of the fact that my body wasn't digesting. The other symptom of the fact that my body wasn't digesting is that my abdomen was distended because mm-hmm stuff was going on that couldn't, I mean, nothing was going on actually. And so I had this story and because I came up in the house with my parents and this like throwing around the word fat and being fat and being fat being something we feared and my mom was always dieting and my mom was always going to evangelical Christian workouts about how it's holy to be thin. Like I wore that word pretty early on and I was like, I am fat. There's something wrong. So because I just picked that word, I never got curious about what actually might have been going on with my body mm. and no one ever because there's so much body shame in my house we never talked about it and I never told them mm. and they even uh so you knew like your your distension was like painful and rigid and all that but maybe that's not what was perceived about it in your household is that what well no saying, one was or? paying attention to anything like I would go lay down after meals because my stomach hurt they just thought I was lying to get out of doing dishes like nobody took my pain seriously mm. no one really took anything seriously so, and I had a lot of shame, so I'm, I probably in one way or another hid what was going on with my body. And I remember vividly being in elementary school and eating at lunch and having this, like looking around at all my friends and having this curiosity of like, what are they, how are they all hiding their stomachs? So you assumed everyone else was experiencing I, or, yeah. or that they were, they were experiencing it, but they were able to hide they it. They were just better at hiding it or like mm. living through it or having a higher pain tolerance or something. Mm. So that actually is the reason why wearing that word fat and all the shame and not talking about it and everything going on in my home and my family, um, that's what started my relationship to disordered eating mm. was I was trying to restrict to control because I was like, oh, it's just food that's doing this to me. So food must be bad and all of that right. stuff. Um And so fast forward many years down the road after like 15 years of, I mean, I shut down my gallbladder when I was 20 because of, Mm. um, I mean, I assume you guys do like content warnings on this, but like binging and purging. Mm. Um, And I had messed up my digestive system so much that I was supposed to be on a, um, and also I had all these undiagnosed food allergies they couldn't figure out. So everything was just a mess and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. So I was put on this medication that I was supposed to take, I was I was told I was going to need to take it 30 minutes before I ate any meal for the rest of my life in order to make my body work because it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot that's different now and there's a lot I could say about why that's different now. But going all the way back to what I said, the two big things that I kind of 
that the way my lived experience in my younger years informed that I kind of see very differently now. Um, it's like my body was clearly trying to get my attention about what was going on, like yeah. with all these undiagnosed things. And then one of the biggest points of like breakthrough in relationship with the person of my body that facilitated compassion that I had needed for, you know, about 15 years of that disordered eating was when I realized that my relationship to binging um, wasn't my body trying to like ruin my life and like mm. make me bigger and all the stories I told myself. It was actually my body having a deep trauma-based body memory that my very first memory in my physical body the moment I got here was starvation. Mm. It was starvation and panic because my mother was trying to feed me and it wasn't working. Right. And so my infant's body memory was, oh my God, I'm dying. Yeah. I need to eat as much as possible. Mm. And so when I connected those two things and realized you've been trying to save my life, my mm. whole life, mm. I just was interpreting this differently because culture has been lying to me about what yeah. it means to be a person who just like eats and all those things. Mm. Um, I started reparenting like my physical mm. body and reassociating myself to my re- my relationship to hunger and hunger cues where I had I had trained myself for so long to like feel a hunger signal and like get really hostile to myself mm-hmm. about it, ignore it, avoid it. And instead I started re- over the course of a couple of years reparenting my body to where I would listen and like start cooking or something but all and and speak to my body and say like hey, don't worry, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be fine. And I would also feed her immediately with something. So I was doing kind of all of the both ands possible of like removing the shame, feeding her well, but also feeding her immediately. Mm -hmm. And it took probably about, I don't know, somewhere around a year. And all of my relationship to disordered eating is gone. Like it literally just doesn't exist anymore. And I went through a 12-step program for food, heavy quotes, food addiction (laughs) um, back in like 20... 12 or something like that like 20 no 2013 or 14 and like even that didn't do anything because it it was just all still restriction and still rooted in diet culture yes 1000 percent. yes so interesting about that is you've given a story to something that caroline duner writes about in Mm. her book called the fuck it diet Mm -hmm. oh oh good name yeah, yeah, yeah which is basically that when we restrict there's no biological difference reaction to that than um famine yes yeah so anything anytime that we do, first of all it leads to binging diets are designed yeah to fail you yes fail you yes. not you fail at them exactly. they're designed to fail you yes. and they're designed to keep you dependent upon them so you keep yes. spending your fucking money yeah, on them right exactly yeah. yeah and anytime that you do eat your body is so Hungry, literally mm-hmm. hungry, mm-hmm. and needs all those nutrients that it hangs yeah. on to them because they're doing what they're supposed to, do and they love they you, and they're you trying to, to save your alive. life. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, because they don't read it as oh, now we're eating. They read it like oh, we're we're still in famine mode. Yeah, because our yeah. body sure as hell don't read it as oh, you want to be thinner to fit in that dress for New right. Year's, like right. everyone's <laughs> telling you you yeah. should do. Like yeah. Yeah. no, she's smarter than that. She, like she does. Yes. Come on, she doesn't right. fuck with that shit. She's yeah. like, I'm trying to save you, you idiot. Come on, eat food. Your organs to work. Yes. Oh my, she knows things I don't about like how much caloric intake she needs in order to breathe every day. If our listeners want to learn a little bit more about the debunking of food addiction, Mm -hmm. listen to season two, episode one. Andrew Wilson addresses it. It's amazing. Oh, ooh, I want to listen to that. just came out. Oh, yes. (laughs) So the institutions that kind of inform that were your family, Mm -hmm. your family world, and probably 
similarly your church upbringing. Yeah. So will you tell us a little bit about what that was and how that informed your food ethic and all that? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, so the irony here is that I was raised not just what in like a white evangelical church, but specifically Southern Baptist. So like there was both this like, oh, it's holy to restrict and avoid all pleasure and indulgence, but also like we gather everything around casseroles, like all of our, and like the one thing we won't talk about is like, um, like the whole, like we'll address all the other seven deadly sins, but like gluttony, like forget that. Like, so it was like, you guys have this deeply, um, it's like they're, their one area of like pleasure and indulgence is in, is with food, but they're so disconnected from that even being a thing because they have a disconnected ethic from the idea of pleasure in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's the most like unaware thing in the world. And so, but like all of the gatherings revolve around food, which is so fascinating. So unfortunately it was this really confusing both and, and both the both and the and were all just like, uh, just really disembodied, super disembodied. So my church, it was like, the irony here is like in the same room, the gymnasium is when we'd have the Wednesday night fellowship meal and like the Thursday, early afternoon, late morning, like workout club for the ladies, like where they like read Bible verses about getting small. Of course. Yes. Yeah. He must become, he must increase. I must decrease kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and yes, only the ladies. And also what you're saying about gluttony is so fascinating to me always. So I guess we should say I grew up in an independent Baptist world. Similar, but maybe even like slightly worse. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I I would agree with that. When it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And Megan, you grew up Southern Baptist as well. So we kind of all have a shared history in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, We also think it's, for me, it's like they have chosen that gluttony is like mainly about food. Right. And not about capitalism or like other Consumerism. I want to listen to you talk about that for like six hours. You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. Yes. And just the overall, we were just saying this kind of on the way over here, that in the, like the overall moralistic list is like all external. Yes. About mm. the person. Yes. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Flesh that out a little. Like, you know, I mean, I grew up with the list of like, well, this is how you're good, a good, good Christian, and how you, yep. know, you don't, you can't earn God's love, but, but if you could, you also kind of have to. The behaviors that you right. can do. Yeah, and here's the way and you need to appear, also, you know, quite don't honestly. Show, yes. Don't show yes. any more than skin than you need mm-hmm. to, and, um, and read your Bible every single day mm-hmm. for 12 hours, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you're holier and better than, than the rest of the world. It's, you know, it's these yep. like show Instead up to church and like... pray all the time. Instead of worrying about like your motivation towards your actions yes. or yes. how you, you know, how you, why you're a part of justice or things of that, you know, yes. that kind of thing. So anyway. Yeah. Yes. Combined with everything you just said too, was also a lot of the language of like the flesh is bad and sinful. Yes. Um, and ra- and I always say this when I talk about this now because it was so liberating when I first heard Richard Rohr talk about how um, really in his opinion that's mistranslated. It's not like flesh and spirit. It's false self, true self. So it has nothing to do with like the physical body. Right, yeah. And yet like Western, like white evangelical Christianity has adopted this idea of like, it's your literal physical, they're usually talking about sex anyway, whatever. Right. But it's like your literal physical body is the thing that's like dragging you into hell. Um, and so you need to kill it or uh, what is it like, like beat it into submission, like abuse it in some way. And like, there's no way that that's not going to bleed into an ethic of how we just, whether consciously or unconsciously, literally treat our actual physical bodies. Well, something else that you were talking about as flesh being so like, I don't know. When I hear that word, I definitely have a reaction mm-hmm. that I feel. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it was used, and you've you've said that it was used as like a sort of a uh, in place of sexual desire, mm-hmm. and and therefore used never in a positive way. Right. And I think of it's funny because when I hear the word flesh, I hear that, but I also hear bigness and taking up space mm. as far as bodies. Yes. So like fleshy. Yes. If someone was fleshy, yeah. their fleshiness or whatever mm. it, as a stand-in for fat. Wow. Yeah. And I think both of them are yeah. very harmful. Yes. And that's re- I've never thought about it that way before yeah. actually. That's so interesting. So, I mean, there's something to that as far as they don't have to overtly, like harmful things don't have to be overtly said. Um, Mm -hmm. Like in my home growing up, like I said, and this is like true for a lot of, and something I talk about with my clients is like when we're talking about their, the sexual ethic they were raised with. I'm like, I'm not just curious about what you were directly told. I'm curious about what was omitted or what you picked up on too, because that's, equally as important sometimes even more so important because I've had clients be like well this particular thing wasn't talked about and I was like well then that's what you learned is that we don't talk about this so that you're built you're still building an ethic all the time so in that when we're still building an ethic during our childhood about bodies like it doesn't really matter if someone says directly flesh equals fleshy and fleshy equals big and big equals bad you can just do that if you hear that the word fleshy used on a tv show you're watching to criticize a larger bodied person. Mm-hmm. And then you go to your church and you hear the word flesh. So you can put those things together right, exactly. and you're building an ethic off of right. that about what you as a child are like growing into the world and believing is good and bad. Yeah. Very simply. That's yeah. a great insight. Let's talk about pleasure. You are a self-described sex witch. Oh yeah, I knew that was I knew So that was let's coming. get yeah. going with that. That's what I wanted to say. That's oh, probably no, a bad I've been way introduced to by friends at parties full of strangers as literally yelling, She's a sex witch. Oh, and then fine. they're just like, talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> so I no, you can't that starts interesting fun. conversation. Oh, yeah. it's actually it makes my social life very easy. Oh because good. it like splits the room. There, half the people will never speak to me, and I don't want to talk to them. Uh-huh. And then the other half of the room are like, tell me more. And I'm like, you seem like a person I could probably vibe with. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah. It's great. That's amazing. So I am guessing that a lot of your work is around pleasure. Yep. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you betcha. Love it. So how can we – tell us how we can maybe be shifting our thoughts on pleasure. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> 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 that one open. So I, I come mean, in with the light and Megan comes in with the deep. Well, first of all, I mean, you're already doing this. You're going to Lizzo. So, <laughs> brilliant <laughs> start. Right. Um, also, if, if you're not having sex yet, start. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally right now. Start having sex right now. Pause this, go have sex um, with yourself, even if you have to. Um, how can we start shifting our relationship to pleasure? I mean, there's a lot to say about that. Um, the Literally, the first thing that comes to my mind is divest from capitalism. Okay, uh, yes. Okay, yes. And I mean, and I mean it. So, in that talk that you were talking about that I did at yes. Imaginarium, um, my whole entire ethic that I speak from and work from and have built my coaching practice on and how the sex witch stuff comes into it, my whole ethic is this whole. And you've already heard me talk about it, but my body's a person that I'm in relationship with, and how I built that idea for that ethic over the course of like a few years of like, oh, this is the paradigm I'm going to do all of my work through is slowly over time realizing all of the systems and environments, spaces and places 
that benefit from me believing them when they tell me that I'm required to interact with my body as if my body is an object, a vessel, a machine, or um, something, not someone, but something that is like functioning in a way that is not optimal. Mm. Um, like it's a machine, but it's breaking down and mm. that's why you're sick or it's a machine or it's a vessel and it's sinful. And that's why you're, I mean, you could film like unproductive mm. or it's, yeah. you know, or, and then obviously like different sizes and shapes and colors and races and genders, like of bodies come into this because this is something I talked about in that talk, um, about how these spaces like, um, white supremacy and capitalism and ableism and, um, I guess, I mean, how would, what would, what do you guys, what would you say is the correct terminology for like... Diet culture? Diet culture. Yeah. I think I I might have said that actually. That might have been what I said. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But... Or fat um, phobia. We talk about that. Yeah. 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 The, the thing that those, those systems manage to, um, accomplish not just in getting us to relate to ourselves in this like really objectified kind of way, but it also places certain bodies on a hierarchy above other bodies and says these bodies are more productive according to the values we assign. And so they're more important Mm -hmm. where these bodies are less um, beautiful according Mm -hmm. to the values we assign. So they're less important. And that like, it's hard because you, (laughs) we all are just, bopping around thinking we gave our ethics to ourselves Mm. and unless you do some really good work to start like like increasing your awareness seeing these things responding yourself with compassion about the fact that you didn't really have any choice in the matter to be indoctrinated in the first place Mm -hmm. but starting to like undo all of those things like very slowly and very attentively unless you do that work you really will just think you're attracted to who you're attracted to because you just are um, you'll think you believe the things you believed just because you do. Um, and you can add anything to the list you want because you, you are under this impression, oh, it's just the default human setting, right. which is absurd. Yeah. Um, or that um, you're attracted to this kind of person and so something must be wrong with Wrong you. with... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, right in the gut. Not yep. that all of yep. these are social constructs. Yep. Yes. Or <clears throat> if you are attracted to certain bodies, that's just a kink. Yes. Yes. Fetish. Right. Fetish. Say it again. 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 Yep. Yeah. And that belongs over here in this weird And that's something to be shamed about. That then that subculture they have a lot of acceptance for it and it's mm-hmm. very free, but the subculture exists because it is shamed yes. in our regular culture. So right. you're fetishizing bodies that are literally just bodies, but the fetishizing occurs because of these hierarchical structures which have done such a good job in like getting into your subconscious and being like and like, it's, it's such, yeah, instead, it's instead yeah. of just being like, oh, cool. That's who you're attracted to. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. That's why pleasure <sighs> is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, but why it's so hard to develop a relationship to is because when our entire value system in these, these isms, when the value system we're given by all of these isms is generally productivity and, um, like not what almost said pleasurable, not pleasurable mm-hmm. productivity and acceptable appearance yeah. in some way, uh, whether that is like the physicality or like the morality, like your morality mm. being perceived as like acceptable in your appearance. Um, the problem is, is that everything is then work. Yeah. Everything is work. And this comes into the way that this is diet culture, right? Like our eating is our work. Our eating is our, how we pay our penance or our non eating is how we pay our penance. Or when people say things like, Oh, I did this amount of activity today, and so I can eat this thing, or right. eat the, and rather than I exist and I just I can have pleasure when I want it. Right. Like mm. it's when you start to divest from these isms, and when you start to undo this, and you start to like 
experience your body as being a person, like my relationship with my body, it like a few things happen. Number one, you start to like see the absurdity and this idea that like, but she doesn't have to earn her food. Right. She's alive. Like it's yeah. just food. Um, you start to, this is something that comes up in my relationship with my clients a lot where I will catch them when they're speaking from the success failure paradigm in relationship to their bodies. Mm. And I'll be like, I'm going to need you to explain to me what you, what you mean right now in this moment. Give me other words for what you're referring to when you say fail. Mm. And I'll just kind of lead them and start them and be like, because from my perspective, you birthed two children and you're breathing. So I need you to explain to me where this, this idea that you have failed since you were 10 years old at doing something, which is dieting, make yourself, the idea of you failed at making yourself smaller, yes. you're framing that as if your body is failing at something. I need you to give me another word. Cause I'm like, you, that's not your word for it. Like yeah. you're given that word. I just had a light bulb moment as you were talking and, um, maybe it's just gonna be like, yeah, duh for y'all. But, um, when you, when you treat your body or any body as an object, then everything is a transaction. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Every, mm-hmm. you know, you were like, oh, I, I, I put out this much so that yep. I can consume this much. Yep. And um, it's capitalism. And yes, it's capitalism. It is. Yes, it is. And it's capitalism. Yep. And then that, and that's scarcity, right? Yes, it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which, and scarcity then leads to self-abnegation. Yes. Because if you, if you're not functioning from abundance or this idea that like, oh, there's plenty, there's more than plenty. Right. Then how are you ever going to navigate the world of pleasure? Because yeah. you're going to stop just short of desire. You're going to mm. go with like, oh, need, that's the end. Mm-hmm. Or for a lot of us that like the religious and cultural narrative of, you know, evangelicalism did a number on, mm. we will stop underneath need. We'll stop before need because mm. we don't even think we're deserving of need, Needs. much less desire. Right. So yes, everything is transactional. Everything is objectified. And that really, that will inevitably, in my opinion, rob you of even beginning to develop a relationship to or an ethic like with and for pleasure at Mm -hmm. all because it's just seen as I mean if everything's scarcity then you don't ever get to and I don't like the language of like indulgence but you don't ever get to go beyond need because then we call those people selfish that's why these things this idea of you're born sinful you're bad there's we can almost project a certain morality onto you based on how we perceive your body Mm -hmm. that's why that existing in religious spaces is important to talk about because that bleeds into everything else, right. particularly in our country. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's such a great point. I want to circle back a bit when we were talking about abundance and mm-hmm. pleasure and living into that. And just, I feel the need to recognize that there's a lot of privilege in our ability, as, yeah. uh, particularly us sitting around this table in our ability to live into abundance. Yes. And, um, and so we also have to be doing the work of dismantling these other issues that yeah. come into play that, yes. that, disable people from being able to live into abundance. That's very, I'm glad you said that. It's very true because I also think, I mean, capitalism as well, there's this, you know, the whole narrative of, well, maybe, maybe you could, we wouldn't be too poor to buy a house if you just stopped drinking your Starbucks coffee every day. Like as if like, as if people who have been held down by a system economically are not allowed to experience pleasure or they're being irresponsible. Like, that comes into this abundance scarcity mentality mm-hmm. too. It's yeah. like, oh, you're only free to engage pleasure if some weird external, um, if you've made it, very subjective idea of <laughs> yeah. how, if you've made it. Right. Like, yeah. We've determined that you have enough slash more than enough, so you're allowed to play. Right. But if yeah. you are under the, if we perceive you 
to be under this like again very subjective very movable like limit Mm -hmm. then you're you playing in any way you Mm -hmm. experiencing pleasure or enjoyment in any way is irresponsible and again what you don't have is then all your fault right because you you don't deserve this so Mm -hmm. like you don't get to play around with this idea of abundance abundance quote unquote is Mm -hmm. only for people who have already have it already have already been set up to have it yeah 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 so even our ethic of pleasure and how we leave people out of it is a really important thing to talk yeah. about because yeah. there's a lot of judgment with that yeah. and isn't it so strange that we mimic food scarcity by dieting girl say more yeah i just like is. you're right like just like what are we doing mm-hmm. <laughs> like it really let's is take absurd. it seriously it's let's absurd. take it seriously and address access and address yes poverty and a lot of other things and let's stop mimicking what that is Mm -hmm. when we don't have to yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so throughout the conversation we've been having you keep referring to your body as her Mm -hmm. that you have a relationship with not Mm -hmm. an it and so i'd love to hear more about your journey to that Mm -hmm. and why that's important for you yes this is my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> Good, I love it. On a it feels like, because I don't know what I'm about to say. I don't know what this feeling feels like. I don't know how it feels to like be in love with like an external person and be like really proud and like, let me talk about this person I love. Mm. But when you ask me that question, I'm like, this is my favorite thing to talk about. Mm. And I think about my body as a person. I'm like, that's, that feels close. It yeah. Feels, it feels like that's the same in my head. It feels like really what that would cool. feel like. Yeah. 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 Um, so maybe the other one will happen someday. Um, so... Yeah, you know, someone asked me this. You've done it in the right order, by the way. Oh, thank you. I I, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Most of that was not my decision. Sure. Um, but, uh, but I'm glad for it. Yeah. Um, so someone asked me this a few months ago uh, in talking about a utterly different... It was the liturgist episode about me being a sex witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vishnu had uh, asked me about that and was like, where did that start for you? And I don't know if anyone had asked me that before or if I had thought much about it, but in typical fashion, I I actually almost said this a second ago when you were like, this has been awesome. I literally almost said, I didn't even know I thought half this stuff until I started, until I said it, like I yeah. heard myself say yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and so a similar thing happened where he asked me about kind of the origin story of my relationship to her. And I a piece like clicked and I realized that it started... Um, so, you know, my whole thing I referenced about being in pain and being really hostile to my body my whole life. Well, I started, um, I started trying to figure out what was the deal with my digestive system. And so I started experimenting with like, and I didn't have money for like actual allergy tests cause I was a missionary. So I was like, <laughs> let's remove a few things, notice what happens and then add it back. Notice what happens. It's like long form trying to figure out food allergies. And this thing this really fascinating thing happened. This was like in like 2013 when I was experimenting with this. And so on some level, I was like being attentive to my body in a way I never had been before. Um, And so that was happening over here. And then um, I don't know if it was the first time, but one of the times that my period rolled around again and showed up, um, I heard myself say either to myself or to someone else. I'm not totally sure. But I know that I referenced this thing that I've been saying my pretty much my whole life since I started menstruating, which was... Um, like the pain that I was in, I was like, my uterus is trying to kill me, um, which like sounded really funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but some, I, something happened when I heard myself say at that time, because I, it, something felt, it it felt like dissonance all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, wait a minute. Uh, 
I'm referencing my body being so mean to me, but I'm I'm taking like great pains to try and figure out how to take care of my body for the mm. very first time over here. This this isn't matching all of a sudden. Yeah. Like I don't just have this one narrative of like I hate her, I hate it, it hates me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's where a lot of it started. Was I was just like, oh, is there another way to be here? I don't know. And so I don't can't really tell you like what exactly happened from then to now specifically, but I do know that that's where that that started to shift of this, like, I don't think it's quite this simple and I don't think it is out to get me like I've thought my whole life. Um, And then I do know that around the time too that I was doing all this like inner work to like thinking about my infant self trying to save my life by through my former Mm. like binging. And I was like, wow, that's a totally different framing. Like, holy shit. Like that, I think it was like, I I would have these moments internally where I would kind of like, think about a past experience I had had in relationship to my physical body. And even when I was still thinking about my body being an object, I was like, there's something really human about that experience. And when I started to frame it through the lens of compassion, I was like, well, that's how like I would be with someone I love. Mm. Like I would act on someone's behalf in that way that I'm suddenly like, did my body like do that really kind thing for me? Mm-hmm. Did she like save me from this thing or did she bring me an awareness? Oh my God. And so I think it just like it, the personification just kind of started happening. Um, Cause I have a hard time not saying she knows. So I know I'm like slipping it in, but I think it was really, I just started thinking about my body being a person because I started to realize that my body most of what my body had been doing my whole life was actually rooted in kindness and not mm. hostility. And I was like, I have a framework for people being kind. Maybe my body's a person and she's actually just really kind. Mm. Um, and so it started there. And then when you start there, then when it's like, okay, I'm in a relationship with this person. It's kind of, I mean, again, I don't know, but I assume it's kind of like falling in love where you're like, oh my God, you're so great all of a sudden. <laughs> right at the beginning... And then you hit some weird rough spots in communication and you're like, we're not on the same page, but I'm not leaving you because mm. I do love you. So I guess, I guess we just don't like each other for a couple days and then we figure it out. Is that what we do? And so it became this like the pendulum swing to like, I probably hung out in the, in the weird body positivity realm for all. I was like, she yeah. does no wrong. Right. Like, right. Great. Right. And then some people like lovingly were like, Really, you're getting really close to ableism right now. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't yeah. keep going that direction, and then you kind of like swing the other way. So, eventually, I kind of like really comfortably like landed in this middle space of um, I'm in a relationship with her that is complicated. Yeah. It is not perfect. It is also not. It has nothing to do with control. It has everything to do with curiosity and compassion, mm-hmm. just like every other relationship. Mm-hmm. And I am deeply under the impression, or else. I would be a fraud in what I'm doing for a living. I'm deeply under the impression that like this is the thing that we need. This is what we're missing in a lot of spaces about why we can't, why embodiment isn't like working or why mm. like the freaking like self-help world is so absurd and gaslighting and ableist and white supremacy. It's just, it, it's not working. And it's not working because again, it's in this capitalist paradigm of like, first of all, I don't think we really, if our bodies aren't people, what does care and love look like? What does self-care yeah. and self... We don't know how to do that with objects. Right. So your body has right. to be a person. So right. you actually have to start way deeper and begin to unlearn all these isms that have lied to you and told you your body's an object. Mm. Or else the idea of, I can't care for my body unless she tells me how she needs to be cared for. Now, the self-help world is going to tell you, buy all this shit. Yep. That's how your body needs to be cared for. 
diet culture is going to tell you eat this way don't eat these things that's how your body needs to be cared for cared for and so you actually in order to develop to get rid of this idea of like i need external information to tell me how to be with myself Mm -hmm. you actually have to start with this this person my body is a Mm -hmm. person that has information for me Mm -hmm. about how he she or they specifically need to be cared for because as long as we're still relating and very i mean it sounds so simple but as long as we're still using the word it to describe our bodies, like our brains are still working in a really specific way yeah. and the stuff can't yeah. take hold. Yeah, language matters. Language yeah. deeply matters. Why don't you tell the fine people where to find you mm-hmm. um, and tell us a little bit about your book and where people can find that too. Yes. Well, all, you can find me in all the same, me and the book in all the same places. You can find me on Twitter. That's probably the best place to start. Just at Jamie Lee Finch. On Instagram, I am at I am Jamie Lee Finch. And then my website is jamieleefinch.com. And the landing page right when you pop on there has links to all the places you can buy the book in whatever format works best for you. The book is called You Are Your Own, A Reckoning with the Religious Trauma of Evangelical Christianity. Can we close out by you sharing one of your poems? Oh, I was so hoping you'd ask. (laughs) So the title is Because It's Only May and I'm Already Exhausted of This Term. She's better than my summer body my sometimes body, my body for a season only if I earned her. She's my sorrow body, my sleepless night body, my let me shoulder this weight with you body. She's my sinking body, my swimming body, my gorgeous, courageous, crash and burn body. She is my showing up anyway body. Autumn body, winter body, spring body blooming. She moves and sways and rolls with the punches like the forged and the fires of the earth fighter that she is. She is my single body my sexual body, my sacred when shared body, my screaming body, my singing body, my silent body, my stronger body, my sicker body, my shrinking body, my swelling body, my sometimes shattered body, she picks up, she gets up, she summons, she stretches, she sees. This summertime body is my body for all seasons, all sizes, all circumstance. She is bolder and brighter and better than three months and heat. She, my sunshine body, stardust body. She, energy of everything and everyone who has ever been before. She will wear whatever the fuck she wants to to the goddamn beach. Wow, thank you so much mm. for being here yeah, and having this conversation. So with delightful. Us. So for us, too. Yeah. yeah. Such a learning experience, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you, apparently. Again, I didn't know half that stuff that I thought until <laughs> I said it. It's coming so, out. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Let's talk about snacks, baby. Let's talk about what's yummy. Let's talk about all the sweet things and the salty that we eat. Let's talk about snacks. Okay. Snacks. (laughs) We're going to talk about our snacks. This might be one of my favorite segments that we do. Oh, yeah. I love talking about food. Okay. My snack is... I am so here for an ice cream sandwich, but not your tradish kind, where okay. it's the vanilla. I really enjoy when it has chocolate, because, hi, my name's Kendra, and I love all things chocolate. But I'm really into the mint chocolate chip ones that I get at Kroger now. I'm out. I'm out. 
this. You're out on this? Also, the Neapolitan? That's the one. Neapolitan. That's the one. I was hoping to get to that one because that's the best one. They had that entire sandwich board? Oh, yeah. It's like in stripes. Okay. Yeah. Back in. So good. Yeah, and I love how cheap they are, too. <laughs> so Do you like the it. ones where it's like ice cream and it's sandwiched in two cookies? Um, I just really need that traditional cookie, ice cream cookie sandwich Okay, portion. Do you remember at your bachelorette party that I think Casey made a... Shut up, Casey! She's going to love that. Um, made a cake out of ice cream sandwiches, in my mind was blown that was what you've mentioned that to me before it is so strange that i don't remember that what i, I was remember so it. caught it up so on the rest of the weekend i guess it so yeah good. it's shocking to me that i don't remember I, this so good i know i don't <laughs> did I you know. eat any of it i'm sure that i did I, oh, I yeah. Like, how, oh yeah we all how would you good oh, yeah. so good I've yet never this, made one. By the way, no. this was 10 years ago. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That <laughs> makes sense. That was a baby when yeah. I got married. Wow. Um, anyway, yeah. Jamie, what is your snack? Oh my gosh. Share with us, will you? Well, you guys got my snack today, which I was so... Oh, <laughs> you see like when I walked in, I was like, are those the chips? <laughs> I completely freaked out. Um, Tostitos, hint of lime, chips, um, which, settle my curiosity, did it just come in the party size bag? Or did, what did they do? They make smaller bags now. I didn't see any smaller bags. That, okay, just the party. I think it's just party size because they know what buy. they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they <laughs> deeply know what they're doing, which is like I will always have a party when I'm eating them. Yeah, most often it will, it will be a party of one, and that is just fine. <laughs> um, right. But I was so excited that you got that snack because that has been a. Uh, I guess my relationship to that snack has been redeemed. Yeah. Because um, I didn't, I hate putting it this way, I didn't let myself have yeah. them for a long time. Yeah. Um, because I used to, I mean, it's fun, I can talk about it now, but I used to buy them when I was like deep in my feels and didn't want to be in my feels mm. and I eat an entire bag and like leave my body, leave my brain, just stop thinking yeah. and just like I would be at the bottom. And then I would just feel, it was two things. I felt poor clearly mm-hmm. uh felt very poorly and then also it's like I did I wasn't even there to enjoy them mm-hmm. and so then for yeah. some, whatever reason I thought that restriction was the answer for a long time and so mm-hmm. I was like you can't be trusted with these delicious yeah. things um and so I stopped buying them for a long time and then I was like mm, life is entirely too short That's right. <laughs> also some things have changed uh-huh. and I'm better at being in my feels yeah. So I can be in my fields and eat these chips at the same time, and it's fucking great. Yeah, Gross. yeah. So Freedom. I am both in my fields and eating these chips today. Yeah, look at that. So good. We're doing it, and you're fine. So, I'm fine. I have I'm to great. know about the taste. Like, what <laughs> led you to the? It has to be the lime flavoring. I like really intense flavors of things. Yeah. In fact, a lot of people I talked to about these chips were like, "They're too intense. I can't eat oh, those." And thank you. They're so good. Have you had them? They're right there. Uh, yeah. Okay. You have, yeah. And they're, it's hard to even describe what is happening on them. I don't even know if I want to give you language for it because I want you to just <laughs> okay. experience it. But well, it is. Well, someone hand me a chip. I know. Truly. Just right into the mic. <laughs> yep. Mm, um, but so a lot, it's, it's tangy. And it, it's, no. You're right. It is tangy well, though. Oh, that's a good word for it. Because lime and tangy. And yeah. it's like salted, but I have a feeling they probably put sugar on it too is my oh, guess. Oh, okay. Um, a little bit of both. So it just... So the mm. chip with it by itself? Mostly, yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, salsa and guac is also great, 
But the way the chip is seasoned is so, I love That's talking. What you I love want. talking about this. <laughs> I wanted to I want to do this all the time with food. I'm like the specific taste of this specific item, and it's just per- like yeah. yeah, it's they're seasoned so well. And then sometimes when you get down to the bottom of a bag, you get the ones that were like disproportionately, se- and it starts yes. to like take off the taste buds on your tongue because it's yes. so tangy and so intense. Oh, wow. Those are my favorite ones. Okay. It is sour. Yeah. And that's the thing. I like really – I like the driest wine. I like black coffee. Oh. I like things that are real – I like really intense, like real intense, like spicy Bloody Marys. Um, I'm just talking garlic? about liquids right now. Oh, deeply. <laughs> so much. I like about four times the amount of garlic that most people like when they say they like garlic. Okay. I'm like, take that, multiply it by a lot, Fun and then you're in my realm. about garlic that I feel like is very pertinent to all the conversations yes. we're about to have. Vampires. Um, no, <laughs> it's almost spooky season. Yeah. No, um, there are some religious groups even now today that don't allow garlic to be eaten. Um, and it was definitely restricted, you know, many, 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 many years ago because it was thought because it was such a strong flavor that it was thought to awaken sexual desire. That's ironic. Clearly, none of those people have ever eaten garlic and tried to kiss someone. <laughs> are you guys fucking kidding me? You have to brush your teeth before you do anything with another or multiple or human like people. If you get it on your hands, it's not going. No, anywhere. it's not. Well, that could I be fun. I really though. want to know that could be fun. Who, where that actually originates from. Mm-hmm. Like, who who was it that decided? Might that? have been that was it the farmer that was like, "I'm keeping all the garlic for myself." I think it was a group of moms, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I was thinking maybe it was that Kellogg guy who was like, oh, this is, <laughs> yes, "We should talk about that." Woo! This is like. Maybe like hundreds of years ago. Okay, before his time. But yeah, yeah. Kellogg. So Kellogg. He was derivative. Created cereal to curb masturbation. Was it him or the graham Wait, cracker guy? Hold Wait, on. was Kellogg the same guy oh. as the graham cracker guy, or was there an actual guy named Graham? Know. I don't know. But essentially, it was. I know the Kellogg guy was like. I mean, essentially, if there's this is for sure too reductionistic, but some form of if there's too much pleasure in your food, it'll like awaken. Yeah sexual desire so let's eat cardboard instead I guess and then he had a whole commune I really hope I'm not screwing this up yeah there was a whole commune of people who are dedicated to like you know holiness and sexual celibacy and all that that he started and they were just like committed to that form of eating which was just bland food across the board was his name Will Keith Kellogg maybe WK. We we'll fact check it. Okay. If it's inaccurate. A we'll member of the Seventh Day Adventist that's Church him. practiced vegetarianism as a dietary <laughs> principle <laughs> taught by his church. Later, he found a Kellogg Arabian ranch. Oh, oh, the, oh the that's Arabian the ranch. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds flavorful. It's a ranch. He, he dipped the cardboard in ranch dressing. Wow, how <laughs> to try that. Uh, Megan, yeah, yeah. tell us about your snack. Also in the same vein of tortilla chips, today we have lunch at Uncle Julio's, which Ooh. is a Mexican spot. I think it's Jane, I don't know. Anyway, mostly in my life, I'm not wanting to assign moral or any sort of value to size of things, right? That's yes. Everything that we're That's about. the whole thing, yeah. However, when it mm-hmm, comes to mm-hmm. a tortilla chip, uh-huh, mm-hmm. thinner is better. Mm. It even feels a little icky saying it out loud. The one, sorry, that was too loud. The one place in the world, the one realm where we can say that. Okay, so explain what you mean by that, though. Okay, it wasn't even, I think they were, like, made there, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, um, it's just a, it's just a thinner, 
tortilla? It's I almost guess. translucent. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. That perfect word for Just that. Like, I now know exactly like, what kind of chip you're talking really about. You don't really have to use any force to yes. crumble it. Yep. <laughs> Correct. Mm-hmm. It's like crispy, but not crunchy. They have the, sa- they have the exact same chips at um, El Jalisciense on mm-hmm. Gallatin, which mm-hmm. is the best, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Facts Mexican. Oh, it's the best place. It doesn't chewy anyways. So that's mine. It's a good one. So good. Ready? Let's talk about snacks. This episode's inductees to the Fat Friendly Hall of Fame are Lindy West, Jess Baker. And our guest, Jamie Finch. These are the people we've been waiting for. We are the people we've been waiting for. Hey, Megan, what's your secret weapon? My breath almost never spells bad. Is that because you brush your teeth or you mean like naturally it doesn't smell bad? Naturally. It's probably because you're not a coffee drinker. You're probably right. Or a carbonated beverage drinker, really. Correct. Correct. Yeah. What do you think it's about? Um, I don't know, but it's something I'm very proud of. You should be, because I'm constantly (laughs) worried that my breast smells. Constantly. Oh, Kendra, what is your secret weapon? I can go four whole days without washing my hair. (laughs) Is that just called a choice or a secret (laughs) weapon? (laughs) That's a really incredibly wonderful point you're making. Yes. But some people physically cannot let themselves go four days without washing their hair. You're right. And I routinely get comments on day three of my hair not being washed. That's your sweet spot. Day three. And then I push it. Do you use dry shampoo? Uh, sometimes. But usually by day four, I'm doing a slick back, low pone look. <laughs> you know, just a casual low pone. Does anyone say that? Pone? I mean, Phoebe Robinson is my f- okay, favorite yeah, person in the I whole was world. wondering, so. like, that's got to be a Phoebe Robinson. I mean, I don't think she's ever said that, but it's absolutely something she would say, so... What is the podcaster's secret weapon? The podcaster's secret weapon are secret weapons, are ratings and reviews. So head on over to iTunes. Even if you don't listen on iTunes, yeah. you can um, just find us on there and rate. Give us a good old, good old college five star try rating. <laughs> and if you feel so, we're trying because we are in fact giving it a good old college try over here. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a review. So we would love it if you do that for us. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much for sticking with us for season two. Yeah. We're going to let you know on either our Facebook page, Nobody Asked For This, Instagram, underscore Nobody Asked For This. Or our website. Here, or our website. We will let you know when our next season is coming out. It is TBD, y'all. But it is coming. It's coming. This is Get not ready. a this is not a forever hiatus. Oh no 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 no. This is just a hiatus to get some things ready for season 3. Yeah. 
We've already got some interviews recorded, y'all. Oh, yeah. So, like, for real, we're coming back. Okay? Okay, we love you. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.